life flows on. It was also at Cambridge that I met Reverend Henslow. He was the first man to paint a portrait of every bird in North America. I'm gonna lay down my burdens down by the riverside. Down by the riverside. Down by the riverside. Hello, I'm, I'm Romeo, I'm a lover. No, not your chocolate candy, Jim Dandy kind of lover. Not your dozen roses, handsome poses kind of fellow. Uh, the ladies know I'm mellow, but I'm a lover of history. That's the melody I like to croon. And if chocolate means black, well, then black history takes me over the moon. When the moon shines at night, it casts some very interesting shadows, long shadows in the deep south, shadows that groundhogs can see. I was born on Groundhog's Day. February 2nd, 1910 in Natchez, Mississippi. My father said the groundhog saw two shadows, one for the white folks and one for the color. The one for the white folks was a bright, sunny, pleasant day. And for the colored folks, it was some horrible days ahead. He used to tell me that I talk too much. I say, granddaddy, this is wrong. He would say, shh. Bite your tongue or you might get hung. Bite your tongue or you might get hung. My grandpappy, he met Frederick Douglass in 1863. This was during the Civil War and Frederick Douglass had escaped from slavery and was going around the country as an abolitionist, talking about the evils of slavery. My grandpappy met him, he was enslaved. And he said when slavery ended, colored people were so happy they didn't know what to do. And that was the problem. They didn't know what to do. So a lot of them ended up staying on the plantation. When they got ready to walk away, the man said, well, where are you gonna go? Where are you gonna stay? I, I don't know. He said, well, you can stay here. Well, thank you, sir, thank you. But you gotta pay rent. Oh, uh, well, where am I gonna work? Well, you can still work here. Well, thank you, sir, and I'll pay you. The only thing about it, the rent was higher than the pay. So my grandpappy, along with all the other colored folk, ended up in debt to that man for years. We shared that common experience, raising crops for him to benefit. We were called sharecroppers. But my grandpappy was smart. And he had a little business enterprise. I said, Grandpappy, what is that over there? Why are you taking that corner? Shh, 
boy, pass me that ear of corn. He was making what they call moonshine. It's an illegal whiskey. Color folk, white folk come, pay their two bits, and he was making money enough to pay the rent, enough to buy his groceries, and the white folks found out about it, and they chased him out of town. But not before I graduated from Natchez High School with honors in 1928. I got honors because I read a lot. I read so many books. My father said that I'd have words coming out of my ears. Now back then when you went to the library, they wouldn't let colored folks take out books. So I tell them, I say, well, well sir, uh, these books are for uh, uh, Mr. Johnson, sir. And he said, well, you make sure you take good care of Mr. Johnson's books, boy. Yes, sir, I, I will. And I'd go home and I'd read those books. I'd be with my father and we'd go into a store and I'd see where it say, buy one bag of popcorn, get one free. I remember what my grandpappy said, bite your tongue or you might get hung. So you couldn't just say, we want one bag of popcorn and give us our other one free. My daddy, he didn't know how to read, so he had two bags of popcorn to get ready to pay for it. And I said, wait a minute, daddy, hold on. I said, Mr. George, sir, do you need some help painting your fence, sir? And he said, well, no, boy, I don't. I don't. Uh, well, tell your wife, sir, I really appreciated the piece of pie she gave me the other day, sir. And if you need any help to do anything, sir, I'd be more than happy to help you out, sir. And one of the uh, little boys told me that Mr. George was, was giving away bags of popcorn. And I say, Mr. George, a uh, businessman, he ain't giving away no popcorn. If you get any popcorn, you got to buy at least one to get one free. And he said, that's right, boy. You buy one, you, and, and, you, and then you get one free. And so my daddy put his popcorn up there, and he ended up buying one and getting the other one free. And when we were walking out the store, he said, how do you know about the buy one, get one free? I said, daddy, I read it on the sign. All you got to do is read. So I developed an interest in reading. You know... Boy shouldn't have to lie to get a book to read. Man shouldn't have to hold his head down and bow and scrape to get a bag of popcorn. Kids shouldn't have to wait a whole week to go swimming in the public swimming pool and after they get out that's when they clean it. People shouldn't have to live in fear. Man shouldn't be afraid to look another man in the eye. Man shouldn't have to bite his tongue. So, nobody's surprised when I graduated from high school, I went straight to Straight University. <laughs> that was the name of it, Straight University. I was on my way to college. 
Booker T or W.E.B. Booker T. Washington or W.E.B. Du Bois. Which man's ideology should govern our race? That was the question. My family leaned toward W.E.B. because he was more of a progressive thinker. The thinking was that uh, Mr. Washington was too conservative, too content with Jim Crow. Jim Crow was the name given to the system that we lived under, where there was separate everything, separate water fountains, one for white, one for colored, separate restrooms, one for white, one for colored, separate schools, one for white, one for colored, separate everything. And the things that were for the whites were much better than ours. Booker T would say that well, maybe in a couple decades, 20, 30, 40 years, we could gradually move into those things. But Du Bois, he said, our time is now. We deserve everything that this society has to offer. When I was in college, I had the fortune of studying under Dr. Du Bois and some other famous leaders of our time. One of my best teachers was Carter G. Woodson. He made me proud to be born in the month of February. He started this thing called Negro History Week, which later became Black History Month. I was born in February, and that was the month. Carter G. Woodson wrote, and I quote, if you teach the Negro that he has accomplished as much good as any other race, he will aspire to equality and justice without regard to race. Such an effort, however, would upset the program of the oppressor. Play up the Negro with his crimes and shortcomings. Let him learn to admire others, the Greeks and the Hebrews, the Latin. Lead the Negro to detest the man of African blood. And he will end up hating himself. I didn't want to be that Negro. So when I was in college, I, I read a lot of books. I studied sociology. I studied religion. I studied philosophy. Carter G. Woodson wrote, and I quote, philosophers have long conceded that every man has two educators. That which is given to him and the other which he gives himself. Of the two kinds, the one where he gives himself is the more desirable. Indeed, uh, all that is most worthy in man, he must work out and conquer for himself. It is that which constitutes our real and best nourishment. But this is not nourishment for your tummy. This is nourishment for the mind. We read books about Africa and and the evils of slavery and the, and the economics, how much money white people were making for all of that free labor. One of my college roommates used to cuss a lot. He wanted to be an attorney. 
He was sharp. He was smart. But he always used foul language. I called him Doug. Doug was also short for his name, Thurgood. Thurgood Marshall. He went on to become an NAACP attorney and argued the famous Brown versus Board of Education decision, which ended segregation in this country. And later, of course, he went on to become the first black Supreme Court Justice of the United States. I also admired Dr. Du Bois's secretary. She was a mighty fine woman. And I wanted to ask her out, but she wouldn't give me the time of day. And one day I struck up enough nerve to ask her for a date. And she showed me a picture of her and Dr. Du Bois. Uh, that was her husband. Uh, sometimes my studies would take me to Atlanta, Georgia. I loved this one church down there where the minister would deliver powerful sermons. And after the church service, all the congregation would file past the first family and shake their hand. And I would see his son there and I would pat the little boy on the head and say, one day, maybe you'll grow up to be a fine preacher like your daddy. That was Martin Luther King Jr. Well, when I was working for the Works Projects Administration, helping people with their needs and working for the welfare department in New Orleans after I graduated, I learned a lot about the suffering of our people. And I would have stayed on that job probably for the rest of my life had not the war broke out. And I enlisted to serve my country. I won a lot of medals in that war. And I had the commanding officer, General Benjamin Davis. I liked his name because Benjamin is my middle name. He was my commanding officer. He went on to become this nation's first five star general. My good conduct medal earned me a weekend pass to Hollywood. And there I got to meet some of the famous black starlets, Lena Horne, and Ethel Waters, and Hattie McDaniels, who won an Oscar for Gone with the Wind. First black woman to win an Oscar. She would write me letters, my dearest Romeo. But the love of my life was Naomi Sanders. Naomi had a lot of sisters and her father was very protective of his daughter. So he had two big dogs that would guard their house. Well, I had to figure a way to get around those dogs. So I remember reading in one of my books how during the slavery times, the runaways would make little corn balls and put them in their pockets and throw them on the ground so that the dogs would follow these corn balls and they could get away. They called them hush puppies. So whenever I visited Naomi, I always carried me a pocket full of hush puppies. Naomi wasn't doing too well. And we decided that she wasn't going to get the kind of medical care she deserved being down south. You know, a man could bite his tongue for popcorn or books, but when it comes to making sure your wife gets the medical attention she needs, I don't know if I could have bit my tongue at those hospitals if they treated her unfairly.
Just so happened her sister was making history of her own in Peoria, Illinois as the first black female physician, Dr. Maude Sanders. So we decided we should move to Peoria. I'm gonna lay down my burdens down by the riverside, down by the riverside, down by the riverside. I'm gonna lay down my burdens down by the riverside. Study war no more. A lot of people just look at me as a professor, but they forget I was the associate minister for Zion Baptist Church for many, many years. And I needed all the prayer and spiritual support I could get. When Naomi and I moved to Peoria, it was rough in the late 1940s. We soon found out that there were some parts of Peoria that were as segregated as the Deep South. Dr. Sanders, Naomi's sister, did as much as she could to help with her medical care. But she was struggling herself. Her first office was not in the hospital. No, they didn't allow that. It was above a car repair shop. And I had to find a job. Jobs were scarce. So my first job, was at the Beverly Theater as a janitor. You enjoying the movie, sir? Yes, sir. A Miracle on 34th Street. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, you would have preferred The Ghost and Mrs. Muir. <laughs> I see. Uh, uh, democracy. We should take a vote, perhaps, and have the public decide which movies they would like to see. Demos, people, kratos, power, the Greek word democracy. Power to the people, sir. Yes. Conversation with a patron at the Beverly Theater resulted in him revealing that he was on a search committee looking for a professor to teach at Bradley University. He found out that I had a college degree and he encouraged me to apply. When Bradley started offering its master's program, I became one of the first people to get one in 1947. And I began teaching full time in the Department of Sociology. After my first semester of teaching, I thought I was going to go back home to New Orleans. But the students at Bradley circulated a petition. Dozens of students signed it and sent it to the president of the university asking that I stay on as a professor. And so I stayed. And I taught at Bradley from 1947 to 1976 eventually becoming Professor Emeritus. Now, while at Bradley, I wrote three books. One was to satisfy my mentor, 
Dr. Carter G. Woodson, the founder of Black History Month. I started publishing a, a weekly article in the Traveler Weekly newspaper titled, Famous First Facts About Negroes. It was to let our young people know that black people contributed to civilization, came up with inventions, and, and did all kinds of great things for our country. That series of articles soon became a book by the same name. Another book I wrote had to do with what I was experiencing in Peoria and witnessing what the black people went through in Peoria. I come to find out through my research that uh, DuSable, John Baptiste Point DuSable, the explorer who founded the city of Chicago, uh, lived in Peoria for 10 years before he went to the Windy City. Uh, Jeffrey Nash was a runaway who tested this country's fugitive slave laws. His old masters came back to, to get him. He was working down at Harrison and, and Water Streets in Peoria, and they came up and tried to take him back into slavery, and he filed a lawsuit. His case went all the way to the Louisiana Supreme Court, which ruled in his favor. There were many noteworthy things that happened to black people and about black people that I wanted to chronicle. And so I wrote a book entitled, The Negro in Peoria. Somebody told me they turned that into a play called Black to the Future. History is a, a real thing. There's no play acting. In sociology, the experiences we have are very real. Bradley was on a hill and a lot of the black students had to stay off campus in the valley. In 1947, the Catholic Diocese formed a committee to look into why Caterpillar at that time had few black laborers, why Keystone would employ only a handful of blacks, and why the Iowa-Illinois Power Company, uh, furnishing 90% of the power to black populations, carried only one black on their payroll. These were the things I documented in my book. And around the time that uh, we had some problems with one of our presidents, uh, Richard Nixon, I began to ask, what were the president's relationships with the Negro? From Washington, who owned slaves, to Jefferson, who owned slaves, and, and Adams, who argued the Amistad case. Lincoln, we know, with the Emancipation Proclamation, but we don't know that much about uh, Johnson, uh, who uh, seceded him. And then there was Lyndon Johnson, many years later, who did a lot of uh, great things in terms of pushing forward Dr. King's agenda. A reporter asked me once, Dr. Garrett, should we have Black History Month or should that curriculum be spread out throughout the year? I didn't hesitate. I told him both. When they ask you why Black History Month, you needn't struggle to reply. 
Hold your head up straight. Don't hesitate. Look them in the eye. Tell them maybe they don't know it was an African woman's push that gave birth to all mankind, including uh, Nubia and Kush. Tell them from uh, hard science to artistic style, it flowed into the world from the valley of the Nile. Yeah, slavery has brought a lot of mistrust and misunderstanding between us. But America could not have been built without African blood, sweat, and genius. In fact, American ideals of freedom, justice, and equality are best measured when they relate to how Lady Liberty treated me. Too numerous to mention. Our heroes and sheroes, we proudly cheer. When they ask you why Black History Month, tell them it should be celebrated throughout the year.